Welcome to Nomina's Mental Health Mavens. I'm your host, Joanne, and every Sunday we bring you mental health and addictions experts to talk on a variety of topics, including advanced evidence-based therapies. Now, guests' opinions are their own and some content may be triggering, but our mission here and on our Nomina Wellness YouTube channel is to make exceptional mental health support accessible to everyone. So make sure to subscribe, give us a good rating, and maybe even share with a friend. So let's get to it. Today, we are talking to Dan Kalko, who is the Clinical Director of Nomina Integrated Health in Winnipeg, and we are talking about evolutionary psychology. In fact, the conversation was so fascinating that we're going to split this up into a two-parter. So make sure to subscribe because next week, we're going to be carrying on our conversation and talking about evolutionary psychology and addiction. So with that, welcome, Dan. I did some Googling on it because that kind of stuff fascinates me. And I have questions like when you talk about evolution and Mm -hmm. evolutionary psychology, does that follow the same lines around Darwin and uh, natural selection? Uh, A little bit. So it's a little bit more, um, a little bit more broad. So Darwin is very much specifically on how evolution brings species through advancement to the state that they are now. And that's by uh, natural selection. And I guess you could link uh, evolutionary psychology to natural selection because it is a survival mechanism that we as humans have used to get to the point where we are. But um, it it gets a little convoluted because he was much more talking about physical characteristics and traits as opposed to psychological traits. And I would um, suggest that humans are special in their evolutionary psychology and our psychology in general, because we have that evolved prefrontal cortex. And that's not seen in a lot of other animals who simply rely on reflexes and their um, fight, flight, or freeze response to survive. Do you have an example of how evolutionary psychology looks? Yeah. So there's lots of examples and it's a simple one is, um, is just eating, right? So if we think about when we eat, uh, we have a mechanism in our brain that triggers when we're looking for food intake, we're hungry, our stomach starts to churn, we get a signal to our brain. We, we know we're hungry, but we feel we're hungry at the same time. And what we're programmed to seek out are things like high fat, high sugar foods, because those from a survival standpoint are the ones that give us the most energy, the most calories in order to survive. And so a lot of people, for example, when they're stressed, will eat high calorie foods, high fat, high sugar, high salt, because these are some of the the cravings that our brain will tell us. Unfortunately, we have ready access to all of these types of foods, and we can eat sugar literally by the kilo if we want to. And that's not something that our ancestors 500,000 years ago would have had access to. So that evolutionary psychology mixed with our biology goes seeking those nutrients in certain times um, and it can get hijacked. It can get taken over because as soon as we intake those nutrients like sugar, we get a dopamine hit. And if you remember, dopamine is the, the feel good hormone that we have. 
that reinforces behavior. It can also get hijacked in terms of addiction and substance abuse and other types of issues. But in this case, we get a reward. Our brain gives us a reward for eating sugar, high sugar, high fat foods. Um, and if we don't check that, it can get away with us. It can damage our health. It can damage our, our nutritional intake. Uh, and that can be a problematic. Um, and so that's one of the issues where humans struggle with in terms of fighting our evolutionary biology and the psychology that goes with it, because we know we shouldn't eat kilos and kilos of sugar, but we can. And our brain wants us to. It's actually programmed to, and it reinforces our behavior so that it we continue to do so. It wants to encourage us to continue to do so. And that's why we use our prefrontal cortex and go, no, maybe two cookies is enough for tonight or or that kind of thinking. Two cookies is never enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... But that's the thing is we have that that ability to stop ourselves. We have that ability to override what we what our body wants to do with our logical part of our brain. And that happens in that prefrontal cortex, that developed part of our brain that says, yeah, dessert is okay, but not too much. Because if it didn't work, we would be eating dessert only, right? That's what our body would be programmed to do. And we would have high blood pressure and cholesterol, and we might be ridiculously overweight, and we'd have nutritional deficiencies, and we would ultimately die from that because we would only be eating high sugar foods. So with things like anger triggers, trauma responses, um, love, love addictions, is that all part of this? Um, so all of those have uh, psychological components and they all have um, well, I like to call it, I like to call evolutionary psychology as like a pre-programmed response is what, what would our ancestors do? Or what would an animal do in the same situation? And so you mentioned trauma response and trauma response when we look at animals, is broken down into fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, there's also fold now, which is kind of one of the ones that we're adding on to that, which is a polyvagal shutdown. But generally, fight, flight, or freeze is how uh, animals respond. So if you imagine like a deer getting attacked by a, a cougar, it's going to either try to fight the cougar or run away from the cougar, or it's going to want to freeze so maybe the cougar doesn't see that it's there. Um, and they all have limiting limited uh, areas of success depending on how fast the deer can run or what the vision is of the cougar maybe it doesn't see movement that well or however it's evolved over millions of years in order to help um, animals stay safe and alive uh, in terms of humans we also have that response so we've talked about fight flight or freeze and it's been linked to anxiety and depression and so with a traumatic response, our body will automatically respond. So a lot of my clients are, are veterans. So in a firefight, that response, that fight, flight, or freeze response get activated to a high level. Soldiers are trained to go through it, but it's still happening in the background. And then when that gets associated with an emotional response, it fuses. And now we have an emotion tied to a traumatic memory that gets implanted in our brains and it's hard for it to come out and that's where we look at what the evolution what the evolutionary psychology would want to do in that scenario how the evolutionary biology is reinforcing that and we use that or i use that to inform the psychology piece when we're trying to reform and reframe traumatic experiences into a an adaptive way that builds resilience as opposed to maladaptive which causes mental health problems Okay, so kind of like if we understand the problem, we can we need to understand it before we can begin to deal with it. For yeah, so for me, it's really what does our body want to do because that happens automatically. 
And what we really want to get away from in terms of humans, especially when it's something that's maladaptive, is we want to turn off the autopilot. So a stress reaction happens automatically. It happens in all sorts of situations. Uh, somebody claps really loudly in a room. We get startled. We cut our hands when we're, I don't know, cutting some meat or we're preparing supper. We get that response. We get that stress response. I don't know if you or anybody's ever cut themselves. You get that kind of... <gasps> You get that kind of stress response, heart rate shoots up, blood pressure shoots up, uh, autonomic nervous system takes over uh, because that is the stress reaction. That's that's a mild form of shock, and that's designed to try to keep us alive. What we want to do is we want to be aware of that and then recruit the logical part of our brain in order to be able to override that. So in that example that I used earlier of perhaps somebody being extremely stressed in that anxious uh, state, eating a lot of sugar... Oftentimes, people aren't aware that that's their natural response. They have that craving. They have that drive that happens in the background. And what we want to do with the evolutionary psychology piece is bring it to the foreground and say, this is what your body wants to do. This is what it is doing. Now let's see what we can do about it. Because as soon as it goes into the forefront of our mind, as soon as we're dealing with a tangible concept logically, now we have a choice. And when we can choose to continue to do that behavior, or we can stop it. And that's a bit simplistic, but for terms of this conversation, I think that's when we start to be able to look at it as something that we can try to stop doing as opposed to it just happening on its own. I was going to ask if um, unexplained symptoms was part of the evolutionary psychology, because I've heard you speak a lot about how things get stored in our body in different areas. Mm -hmm. It it could be for sure. Uh, It's all about how the brain understands and processes threat. And that's a very evolutionary piece that the amygdala, the fight, flight, or freeze response center of the brain, its whole job is to kind of sit in the background. It scans for threats and it identifies them. And then it triggers you to respond. So you'll respond in usually one of those four ways, fight, flight, freeze, or fold. Um, And when that is happening in the background, we're reacting. So oftentimes in our modern world, we don't see a tiger or a bear attacking us. It happens, but for most people that live in cities, it's it's more like chronic stress, right? My boss is difficult. I have uh, money stress, work stress, neighbor stress, family stress. All of these things are now deemed as threats to our um, our being. And the subconscious doesn't differentiate between a physical stress or a physical threat or, and an emotional threat very well. It treats them the same. And it wants to react to them in the same way because that's all it's no, that's all it's programmed to do. It only can respond in one of those four ways. And so that is a evolutionary hardwiring that we bring with us into today's modern age with computers and spaceships landing on the moon and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't understand a lot of that and it's trying to do its best, but it only has those very rudimentary tools at its disposal. So that becomes an evolutionary piece for sure. Another question. Walk me through a session then. If I came to you and we decided that I was struggling with something that that had to do with evolutionary psychology, how would that look in a therapy session? So it doesn't um, really change if it's uh, an issue that's from an evolutionary basis. Um, Like I said, kind of at the beginning, it informs what we do. And so it would be something that we would try to draw out. So a a typical session would start with an intake. And an intake is a very in-depth session. They're usually between two and three hours. And 
we work on the problem at hand and we try to explore what the issue is that the client is trying to work with. So we'd sit, we'd talk for a little while about the issue that is at the table. And we try to figure out the kind of the outline of what it encompasses. And that usually takes a little while. And we do some exploratory work there to see what a client's capacity is for tolerating emotion, or if there are any uh, anxiety or other defenses present within that person's kind of mental construct in how they've learned to deal with these stressful issues. Because it, it's all stress. All of these things are, are stressful on the mind and on the body. And then we work on trying to understand some of the history behind it. So we go into an in-depth historical take of the client's life. So as earliest memories, earliest formed memories, sometimes they're not even formed. They're, they're implicit memories as opposed to the ones that we can actually remember. And we work on through adolescence all the way through young adulthood into however old they are now up until the moment that we speak together. And then we kind of tie it all together where we identify those elements that we were talking about with the evolutionary pieces. So if there is a, an automatic response that happens when, say, somebody walks into a blue car because they had an accident in a blue car, but they get stressed every time they get into a blue car. Or uh, firefighters sometimes have issues getting into trucks because they have that PTSD from a traumatic issue that happened while they were on a call. So the brain starts to associate that location, the, a truck or a diesel truck or the sound of the engine of a truck. These are all elements that if you think about the breakdown of a memory, a traumatic memory, get recorded. Sights, sounds, smells, sometimes tastes. They all get recorded. And any one of those can be a trigger. And what it happens is it, if you imagine a folder, like a traumatic folder, and you pull out a sound, unfortunately, all those other things are kind of like taped together with those things and it pulls them out. And what we try to do in the latter part of that session is link some of those things together to show the conscious brain what is actually occurring. Because once we bring it to the forefront, like I said earlier, it's harder to ignore. And that's what we try and do over and over again with our sessions is bring some of these elements into the forefront. And we go, did you notice that you're reacting this way? Do you think it's related to whatever experience you had before, experience A, experience B? Do you notice that every time you have this experience in your modern life, all of these elements come, you react in similar ways or in similar fashions. And now we start to look at that. And that causes the that so that traumatic memory to move out of that um, subconscious part into the conscious part of the brain, into the forefront of the brain. And now we start looking at it and the psyche has to start looking at it and going, am I reacting right now? Why am I reacting? What is going on? And, and those inquisitive questions now start to take away that automatic control of that subconscious part of the brain, that evolutionary part of the brain that wants to just react. It's like a reflex. We want to take that. Another good example is if you think about um, when you burn yourself, right? Imagine picking up a hot cup of, let's say it's boiling water and you pick it up. The natural reflex, the natural reaction that we have pre-programmed in our biology is to let go. We're going to want to let go because it's burning us. And we know we've been programmed over the thousands of years that we've evolved that burning equals injury and injury becomes a threat to survival. And we don't want to do that. So we've learned to instantly let go of that cup. We can override that because if it's grandma's fine china that she's had for a hundred years and we pick it up and it starts burning us, we can physically override that reflex and hold onto that cup and put it down as opposed to letting it go and breaking it because it now has a different 
um, set of values associated with that thing. So we can override it with our logic and go, ow, this hurts, but I'm not going to drop it because this isn't the last cup that I had from grandma and it was from the 19th century and I'm going to put it down and let go. And then I'm going to go take care of my injury. So that's kind of a good example of what we want to do in terms of the psychological stresses in, and and work with them and bring them into the forefront of our mind. That is fascinating. And we could go off in a million different directions because now I have a question about addiction and alcoholism. We have a saying in the 12 step world that about putting your hand on a hot stove, how we do it over and over and over again, knowing that it's going to burn us. I I like to uh, modify that analogy is that it's kind of like putting your hand on the stove and leaving it there. And that's where we've, we've got this thing that, I talked about physical threats versus emotional threats. And in terms of substance abuse or addiction, we have this pattern where the subconscious looks at all the options that are available to it. And it goes, I'm going to choose this one because this one is the one that I feel like causes me the least amount of harm. And so using a substance to numb and override whatever emotional issue is happening in the background, that's the choice that the subconscious is making in the background, on autopilot, it happens automatically. And it's like putting your hand on a stove and leaving it there. And like, if your hand was numb, right, if you sat on your hand, or if you tied off your arm, and you couldn't feel, feel it, and you put your hand on the stove, it would be there getting injured the whole time, but you wouldn't know it. And that's what that subconscious does. It acts like a, a numbing agent, because it realizes it's easier to feel whatever it is that's associated with the addiction then or and the effects of addiction than it is to feel the emotional threat on the other hand because it seemed it deems it that dealing with a strong sadness or a loss or an anger or or even a positive emotion to someone that we hold in negative regard as too too difficult to face so it would rather go to that addictive part that that using that substance to soothe what we're doing but is there anything that we've missed? Anything else that you would like to mention? One thing that I would like to add for sure is that it's very easy to use uh, evolutionary psychology and biology as an excuse. And that's one of the things that we don't want to encourage people to do is I'm just programmed that way. It's a naturalistic fallacy that it goes, well, if it's natural, then it must be right. And that's where I draw the the, the line in um encouraging people to think how we as humans are different from animals. Animals are ruled by their evolutionary hardwiring, their evolutionary biology and their psychology because it serves a purpose for them. It keeps them alive. It keeps them um, procreating. It perpetuates the species. And that's very important for most animals who have still have to struggle against nature in ways that are different than most of um, people in our society. So, what I try to discourage is using the fact that, oh, my brain is hardwired to seek fatty food, so I'm going to eat McDonald's every day because, oh, it's just a thing, and I'm not going to bother trying to override that. That's not what we're looking at trying to do. What we're trying to do is inform what our body wants to do and make that conscious choice to move forward in a different way, in an adaptive way, in a socially healthy way, so that we can be those healthy, balanced individuals as opposed to eating McDonald's all the time by ourselves, which is difficult and harmful to us, both physically, emotionally, and socially. And I think that's another piece that we haven't talked about. I don't know how much time you have or how much time we have, but the social aspect to evolutionary psychology is a big thing as well. 
so sorry to cut us off there, but make sure to subscribe and tune in next week when we carry on our conversation with Dan and talk more about the social aspects of evolutionary psychology, as well as addiction and evolutionary psychology. If you are struggling and you need help, call your local Nomina Integrated Health Community Clinic with locations across Canada. And we also offer no charge appointments for those who need a little extra financial support. And we also have our Nomina Wellness Comprehensive Stay Treatment Facility located in Comox Valley, which specializes in more complex and treatment-resistant disorders and addictions. And scholarships are available. So contact information for both can be found in our bio. At Nomina, we are passionate about making mental health matter.